Just in and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? The legends are true. Overwhelming power. sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Oh, it's me! Oh, I'm doing a weird, bad Adam. Actually, this is a good Adam Sandler impression. Oh, and I'm a bruiser. That's just to me. That's Adam Sandler's character in every movie, and that's not true. But you know, when he's being a character. Harbor Day's a day where you plant some trees. You get down and give the Mother Earth a blowies. Because the trees are very tall, and it's funny to watch a fat guy fall. Arbor <laughs> Day, is. Arbor Day, Arbor Day. The Jews, they made it up, it won't go away, but that's cool. Arbor Day, Arbor Day. I think, I think he's a wizard. Hear this song I don't know. Every year from now on. There, I just made a I just made a hit Adam Sandler's. <laughs> <laughs> Please, come on. Give him more credit than that. I will say, uh, yes, we are a we are doing an episode on Happy Madison and Adam Sandler and all that good stuff. And B, I will say out, coming out of this, definitely everyone should watch 100% Fresh, his stand-up special, where he does a yes. lot of songs like that. Uh, but they are actually, no offense, Jake, very funny. No, no, they were better. They were better. <laughs> I understand. Well, you did a very funny parody of this of the comedy song, so that's its own art form. But To be uh, honestly, yeah. Adam Sandler really did capture the feelings of a nation about Thanksgiving, which is, they wish turkey only cost a nickel. <laughs> it's fucking the straight facts. Everyone no no knows disputing that it. That everyone knows about that. Um, but also, everybody needs to know right here and right now, as I slowly vamp on this, yes, that Joseph, thank you so much, Joseph, for uh, donating for this episode. Again, we are catching up on some old Patreon requested episodes. We don't offer this anymore, so don't ask us about this anymore. But <laughs> They're going to ask, Colin. They're, they're going to ask. ask. It's fine. I get it. I'll always listen to what you want us to do an episode on from this point forward, uh, for sure. But uh, please, please, no more requests. We're trying to catch up as it is. Uh, and here is what Joe had to say uh, for a little message Nemo Joe show, basically two bros shooting the shit. I guess this is a show. We bake out and talk about games, politics, and current events. We have a Patreon, and we are on SoundCloud, Apple, Google Play, and YouTube. I'm also on Twitch as Jay Labovich. 
uh, J-L-E-Y-B-O-V-I-C-H, where uh, I can be found playing games, practicing accordion, singing, coding, and making games. Very cool. Thank you so much. That's, again, that's Jay Labovich uh, over there on Twitch. And the Nemo Joe Show. Check it out and check this out. It's an episode about motherfucker. Uh, happy Madison. And man, this is a good gusher for me. I mean, shit, dude. This is like my absolute inspiration to get into comedy was that generation of SNL, that bad boys club uh, that it has later become known for me. I just, it was just funny guys on TV. I didn't, didn't see it as, I didn't realize that it was definitely, um, Kind of a bit of an all-boys club. But, uh, yeah, fucking Chris Farley, Adam Sandler, David Spade, Rob Schneider. I mean, this is like right when I'm becoming, you know, we talked about a lot of comedy stuff on the Tim and Eric awesome show. Great job, Jake. It's a great job. Did you know that? And uh, and so, you know, it's definitely gotten me thinking a lot about my my inspirations in comedy. I talked about Mr. Show, stuff like that, of course, because Bob Odenkirk ended up, you know, producing Tim and Eric, all that good stuff. But going over to this side of it, I mean, this even predates that inspiration. I mean, I remember, you know, my brother had me stay up to watch. He was like, this is the funniest sketch I've ever seen. This thing, this motivational speaker sketch, he, he had me <laughs> stay up. And uh, watch this thing. I remember Counting Crows were the musical guest. I was not into the Counting Crows at the time. Uh, in fact, I, I actually it was the first band I think I openly mocked because I thought their lyrics were so dumb. Uh, I, I, I've come around a little bit in, in, in my older age, but I think I needed to rebel against my brother's musical taste at that point. I am rambling regardless. I stayed up. <laughs> I, I saw the sketch. Anything, <laughs> <laughs> I stayed up. I'm just, it's, you know, it's, I'm having a blast with the pastor now. It's all nostalgia right now. Uh, and so I stayed up and I... Watch this sketch, and I mean, from them point on, every Saturday night, it was just a fight, a battle to stay up late enough to watch uh, SNL. Let's cut to a different memory. I've told you this memory before, Jake. It'll probably bore you to tears. Maybe even listeners will remember this memory. I don't know if I've said it on the show proper before. I'm pretty sure I said it on bonus episodes. I'm sitting in my room. I'm a little kid. Uh, uh, Possibly too young for for what happens in this story. My brother comes in my room. He's being all quiet. I'm like, what's going on? Why is my brother being so quiet? And he's just like, hey, come in here. Come in here. And I'm like, what? What? And I go into the room with him. And he's got a couple of friends in the room with him. They're being like, don't tell mom and dad about this. And they play me a song from Adam Sandler's first comedy album. They're all going to laugh at you. And that, uh, it's not a song, it's a track. And that track is called The Longest Pee. And it's about a guy (laughs) who's literally just can't stop peeing. And he like, at one point he farts. And it's very funny. And um, uh, I was like, my sides hurt. I was laughing so hard. I became obsessed with that album. I became obsessed with all of his comedy albums as they came out. Except for like the last one. I think I was out of Adam Sandler by that point, right? And that's another part of this story too, right? I mean... But talking about seeing Tommy Boy in the movie theater, seeing uh, Happy Gilmore in the movie theater, Billy Madison in the movie theater. I told you a story about a, a, a bad date experience I had in middle school at, a, at B- Billy Madison. I mean, I was we were quoting these movies in the schoolyard. We were, we were just obsessed. He could do no wrong in my eyes. And then he started to do some wrong in my eyes. I think it was maybe... Waterboy, which is funny because you just talked about watching Waterboy last night, Jake. Um, I think it was maybe Waterboy even for me. You said you enjoyed that back in the day and, and kind of felt it didn't quite hold up uh, in, your, in your rewatch. Um, I think by that point, I was starting to fall off. 
And then, mm. and then Adam Sandler and, and Happy Madison and all this stuff and that whole crew started to represent like a, a opposite thing for me as I was becoming a comedy snob and starting to do comedy myself in later years. It started to represent everything I was against in comedy, you know, just pumping out these schlocky movies, all that good stuff, you know, and, and um, uh, sort of t- turned my back on this whole thing. And then it became this whole, you know, it became fun to mock these movies in popular culture. Hell, one of my favorite podcasts ever is The Worst Idea of All Time, which is literally about two dudes in, I believe, Australia or New Zealand, I think Australia, watching Grown Ups 2 once a week and doing a podcast about that <laughs> for an entire year and how they just slowly descend into madness because the movie is so terrible and yada, 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 right? I mean, mm-hmm. just just all this kind of stuff um, going on. And then I'm like, whoa, 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 what? As, as I find out that, like, Sandler's killing it. Everyone loves his movies still. Like, all of us comedy nerds and whatever, like, we, we make fun of it. Like, the internet likes to make fun of it. But lo and behold, at the end of the day, boomers and their families are still loving Adam Sandler movies in their living rooms together as a family. And then seeing this huge Netflix deal go down. And that's the craziest thing. Seeing Sandler make millions and millions of dollars uh, from Netflix and Ridiculous Six especially being like the most successful this like insanely viewed film on Netflix, like everybody and their mother watched it apparently. So he gets even more millions of dollars. And at the same time, it has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. It is this fascinating critic to home viewer divide that is happening culturally with his films. And it's mind blowing. The entire career. That's the weird part though, is he never did. Even in SNL. Yeah. Even at SNL, look at his Rotten Tomatoes uh, profile. Even the greats, even the hits, even Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore uh, are horribly reviewed. Like genuinely, people were Mm -hmm. upset at his presence. And I remember being (laughs) a – okay, so here's the weird duality. Here's the weird duality of Adam Sandler in a nutshell is in the 90s, we loved – I'm saying the universal we, uh, white men between the ages of 25 to 38 living in America, the (laughs) universal person, the default (laughs) human being – Loved Adam Sandler in the 90s, deeply cared about him. And their parent and our parents were like, this guy is an idiot. He's annoying. He's literally painful to listen to. His voice hurts me. And then in the 2000s, all of a sudden, it's our moms and dads who are watching Grown Ups 2 and Jack and Jill and love it. I now pronounce (laughs) you Chuck and Larry. And they're the ones loving Adam Sandler. And we're the ones being like, this is so fucking annoying. I hate this guy. (laughs) And this gigantic reversal of fortune. And I think I I, want to get into it, but I really think how a person relates to comedy is the result of that. And that there's two kind of modalities in how comedy functions, how laughter functions. And Adam Sandler kind of traded one for the other and cashed in because of it, because one really is more universal than the other. Yeah. I like what you were, you were talking about this before we started, but the idea what that, you know, you either focus on pure, it's almost like, I would almost look at it as like pure comedy, like full, full concentrate comedy of just like joke, 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 just visual gag, visual gag, layered on top of the other, just going for that pure, raw laughter. And then there's like... What, which is hard. It's yeah, hard, which is very and if you hard. whiff, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. And then, and then this idea of like comedy of the familiar mm-hmm. is sort of what, you, what we were saying, that, right? The two situations where you laugh really hard are a 
comedian tells an incredible joke that subverts your expectations and kind of does a clever twist with uh, words or a situation and creates a a burst, a volcanic burst of laughter. I still I I am still chasing the comedy high of me convulsing with laughter, losing control of my mind and body when that fucking clown gets up and starts singing towards the end of Billy Madison. Uh-huh. That, like, hey, kids, it's me. <laughs> I bet you thought that I was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, the, the immensity of the callback, the fact that it was like layers upon layers upping the energy of yeah, already yeah. this ridiculous uh, song number, like, Truly loved it. Brilliant joke. One of my favorite pieces of comedy in all of movie history. But also, if your uncle just like lets out a fart at the Thanksgiving table, you're also laughing and it's not as hard. And so with movies like Grown Ups 2, you're just watching Rob Schneider and Adam Sandler and Chris Rock just like and I'm sorry, why would I ever uh, uh, detract from the contributions of Mr. Paul Blart himself, Kevin James? Just hanging out and being dads together is for even more millions of people who aren't like weird comedy nerds. That's just as warming. That's just as appealing. And the box office receipts kind of reflect that. So there's like on the one, you know, I can either be like, oh, he lost its way or like he just found an even broader audience with a more like familiar kind of laid back form of comedy. Um, It's also interesting how, you know. Adam Sandler is this, uh, you know, he was always this younger guy and we're going real. I thought that we'd be hitting all this analysis stuff like at the end of the episode, (laughs) but we can come back around to it later. But yeah, I like doing it up top right here. This is good because we kind of we're setting the stage for the spewing of information is it's a funny one to do this kind of research for because it's so ridiculous and silly uh it's so badly reviewed and appreciated by so many people. And yet it's so beloved at the same time. Uh, in his earlier movies, he was uh, a younger guy, you know, in his late 20s, early 30s. And he always played like this upstart, innocent outsider who brings society over to his way of thinking, whether he's, uh, you know, a rich kid, uh, a perpetual kid in Billy Madison who like, you know, turns the business world upside down with his newfound dedication to like earnestness and kindness. And he decides to forsake his fortune and become like a teacher Happy Gilmore, where he's, uh, you know, taking on the uh, the country club atmosphere, professional golf to help his mom whose house is getting foreclosed on uh, even stuff like Big Daddy and Mr. Deeds. He's like this underdog who kind of is silly and stymies the world. But once something happens around the time of like, I don't know, I'm looking at a big list of his movies like around click, I guess, which made fucking bank every dear god click made bank uh and i now pronounce you chuck and larry and grown-ups and kind of into his later movies he's kind of the insider at this point he's a dad he's always like a dad in a mansion who has like weird like it's the world that's crazy and he's the guy that's just going like i can't believe this is happening or like mm-hmm. i would uh, please shoot me with a bullet i can't stand the way you talk or like you know he's like kind of reacting more to other people jack and jill one of the most critically panned movies of all time. He's just like this weird passive asshole who, who yeah. is like, and he's like trying to play laughs off of the Jill character who is just annoying without anything to it's like kind of one note annoying as fuck. Yeah. Oh, we watched it together. I know. <laughs> 
But then Al Pacino comes in and steals that motherfucking show. I don't care who says what, Al Pacino in Jack and Jill is phenomenal. Duncan, 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 Pacino. I love that. What's my name? (laughs) I love how... No, I love how like the last line of that movie is just Al Pacino going, "Not good, <laughs> not good." <laughs> Say hello to my chocolate blend. Incredible. That was a funny moment. Yeah, but there were a couple of moments. It was funny. So we watched Jack and Jill for our study session, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew, $15 a month to do the study session on Discord. And, and uh, we watched that together. And, you know, it was funny. I think people at a couple times like actually laughed. And then and then you could tell there was like, oh, and it was just like, no, 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 we can laugh at this movie. It's okay. And yes, it's supposed to be one of the worst movies, you know, made or whatever. That's what they say. But there are genuinely funny moments in that movie. It's not like the worst movie, you know. It's not, I wouldn't want to watch it once a week for a year and do a <laughs> podcast on it. But, you know, it was, um, it was not the worst thing I've ever seen ever. You know what I mean? And, uh, but that's kind of, I think that's a lot of it too, is that like for every like hour and a half of real estate, there will be at least no matter what, two moments that make you laugh, <laughs> right? That's what you guarantee, Sandler guarantee, a happy Madison guarantee. And then the whole rest of it might be terrible, but you know, and then sometimes movies come you know, house bunny was great. Grandma's boy was a lot of fun. You know, there's a lot of movies that have come out as well. That have been great, but you're, but, but then, oh, oh, right. But I kind of cut you off, and I think you were heading towards Hubie Halloween and how Hubie Halloween, he refound that, um, that young, innocent. innocent upstart that he originally played in his, in his first movies that people loved so much and still consider to be his best and kind of came back around full circle to that. And Hubie Halloween, a lot of fun to the point where I was like, shit, am I going to start watching a bunch of Happy Madison movies now? Because, like, I felt bad, and then I put this movie on, and now I don't feel so bad. So, (laughs) the fact is, he's an incredible performer. He has whatever that star factor is. Like, people feel comfortable with him. He has amazing dramatic turns in movies like Punch Drunk Love and Uncut Gems. And, like, he clearly has that it factor. I remember watching one of his early stand-up sets on YouTube, something, you know, like an evening at the improv. Uh-huh. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty broke right now. And he just like, it's this momentary aside, but like, he just goes, I mean, I won't be for long. I'm going to make it. I'm going to, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> he just like knows. And he keeps a community of similarly minded people with him. You know, his uh, co-writer, Tim Hurley, yeah. uh, for whom the famous Hurley boy mm-hmm. was named after, was his roommate in NYU. And he's and Alan Covert and David Spade and R.I.P. Chris Farley. But like all these people, he keeps close to him. And so he still has that kind of personable buddies hanging out. You feel like his humor is the same kind of humor that you have with your friends yeah. where in jokes kind of take on a life of their own and things come back around and just doing a silly voice is enough to set the room on fire. I think that is a hundred percent why people still hit me up and I see fa- a face group, you know, Facebook group support around uh, my podcast round table of gentlemen that I did for so many years that you guessed it on Jake that, you know, was again, just exactly that. And a lot of times they'll quote things and I'll be like, technically that's not a joke. But it's funny because it was us in that room doing that with each other and just making each other giggle. You know what I mean? And that's all you need sometimes. It doesn't even have to technically be 
an actual joke, <laughs> which I think yeah. is exactly what you could apply to this. The other thing, too, that's funny about the Internet being like, oh, like everything they're mad at him about is like stuff that he like gamed the system on and is amazing. Like this is brilliant. You know what I mean? People just like mad at him that, you know, he makes movies with, like all of his friends because he just wants to hang out with his friends. He makes movies in fantastic exotic locations because he just like wants to, you know, get a paid vacation and work and make work vacation kind of the same thing. Uh, it's so hilarious. Like, why are you mad at him for like winning? You know what I mean? <laughs> just because like maybe the films aren't to your standards, even though they might be to others. But um all right, we'll stop apologizing for Adam Sandler. Now we can start doing the episode. <laughs> we'll get, yeah, we'll get more into it uh, <laughs> when we go through his oeuvre. But I really think the kind of decade, the 15 years he spent at Sony Pictures Entertainment really got him in a weird situation where like Sony took advantage of him and he took advantage of Sony and the budgets inflated and the movies got worse. And it just created this weird back feed, uh, feedback loop that kind of sullied the the legend of adam sandler that he's now with the netflix kind of slowly reclaiming uh this is amy pascal the beleaguered uh president of sony pictures who has been uh uh these a lot of this stuff came from like the email leaks that happened around the time of uh what was that like north korea movie that they blamed it on the interview anyway uh amy pascal says um he wasn't fancy. He wasn't a dinner party conversation guy. He was more about the money. <laughs> and so, like, as long as he could take care of his friends, as long as he could go to a cool vacation lo- uh, spot to film the movie, as long as he got to, like, work with the people he liked working with and they liked working with him, even if the same directors who, like, failed him so many times before, if he liked working with these people, they got to keep making movies with him. And uh, for good or for bad... And say what you will, he is a funny Jewish man. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it here. The mastermind between such films as uh, behind such films as Little Nicky, Joe Dirt, The Animal. Oh my God! Benchwarmers, Eight Crazy Nights, Click. Remember the sad part in Click that makes everybody cry? Paul Blart. The Mall whole Cup. movie is a sad part. It's just a weird, <laughs> fucked up. Uh, it's a. It's not. He just is like. Fuck it. I watched a little bit of Click, and it's just. Him getting fucked over by this magic remote and then going like, well, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in there, guys, and we're going to talk about it right now. But it all starts with a young Adam Sandler. Born in Brooklyn in 1966, his mother was a nursery school teacher and his father an electrical engineer. He grew up in Manchester, New Hampshire, starting at the age of six And he was the youngest of four children and remembers his childhood fondly. He's one of those guys, which is probably why he has such stability, healthy family life. He's one of the rare, not completely fucked up from childhood uh, comedians out there, which is, yeah, I think why he ends up being kind of this foster home for wayward comics. that he supports uh, through his many movies. His father coached his kids' Little League teams and had a big personality. Sandler calls him his hero. Sandler said, I was always very goofy looking. I didn't realize it at the time. I thought I was kind of a stud, but looking back at it, it is pretty ridiculous. Sandler also said, my mother said how great I was all the time. I started to believe her, but my father would be like, you're great, but you ain't that great. But that also goes to show that that one anecdote you already gave Jake about him in the club being like, I'm going to be fine. 
I'll, I, don't worry, I'm going to make it. I think he had that support very early on, especially from his mother, who definitely built him up to be this big star someday. Uh, Sandler goes to New York University for college at the Tisch School of the Arts in 1988. And uh, at night, he's doing stand-up in the clubs. He's, he's what, he's 19 at this time, something like that? 17? So he started doing stand-up around the New England-Boston area because he was in New Hampshire uh, mm-hmm. before going to NYU. And apparently in a 1994 uh, interview in Interview Magazine in which Ben Stiller interviews Adam Sandler, because that's the catch with Interview Magazine, celebrities interviewing other celebrities. Um, ben Stiller asks, how old were you when you started doing stand-up? Adam Sandler says, 17. And uh, Stiller's like, did you know then that uh, this is what you were going to do for a living? And Sandler says, no, it was my brother who told me to do it, so I did it. And Ben Stiller was like, oh, so he was the guy who made you feel like it was okay to be funny and sing little songs he made up. And Sandler says, right, if he hadn't said to do it, I wouldn't have thought it was a normal thing to do. Mm. I would have said, mom and dad are going to get mad at me, but because he told me to do it, and I knew my parents respected him more than me, I was like, well, he said to do it, so it has to be okay, right? Yeah, this is the fun, and I think this is becoming less and less so with with the advent of podcasting and everything, but... There's always this funny part in every comedian's story where they have to figure out that, oh, I'm like, I could actually just do this, which is the thing that I enjoy, as opposed, for me personally, I even went as far as going to acting school, because I was like, oh, I can't just, like, be funny on stage and, like, do stand-up, that's crazy, I need to be this prestigious actor or whatever, and then and then found out, like, oh, no, I could just do improv and not, like, roll around the floor and, like, scream about my mother uh, in this weird room with this weird guy. You know what I mean? It's also important for our Gen Z listeners to know that before 2008 or two th- before 2006, uh, it was actually um, the idea was that if you didn't succeed in one thing, you could easily survive <laughs> by finding a job doing something else yes. very easily. Because as an American citizen who graduated college, it was your birthright to earn a living through normal employment. Yes. Uh, which nowadays it is not as much anymore. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that is very true. So, so in 1987, he gets a small reoccurring guest gig as Theo Huxtable's friend in The Cosby Show, as well as a spot on the MTV game show Remote Control. That's he. You can find clips of this, and it is he's already Adam Sandler. He's yeah. already just this confident asshole. <laughs> uh, and uh, weirdly enough, is his film debut feels very. Happy Madison. It's called Going Overboard, and it is about a cruise ship comedian. Uh, and the cruise ship gets attacked, I believe, by pirates. Um, and yeah, it, it, it definitely. I, did you ever watch Going Over? I always saw it at Blockbuster Video, and it was never always at it Blockbuster because whatever weird film company owned the rights to it was like, holy shit, I can have a VHS box with Adam Sandler's face on it at the exact height yes. of his. Uh, I, I think I like tried to pick it up one time because I was just so desperate for more Sandler content. Yeah, and my dad was like. You, you don't want this. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what? He was like, it's, it I know Adam Sandler's bad. on it, but it's not an Adam Sandler movie. And I was like, oh, okay. Yes, exactly. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? 
The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Uh, but his, uh, but yes, it's Dennis Miller actually who ends up catching Sandler's act in L.A. and recommends him to Lorne Michaels. And in 1990, he is hired as a writer on SNL, becoming a featured player the very next year. And what really broke him into the mainstream was when he performed the, of course, the Thanksgiving song, and I remember especially the Hanukkah song during the show's Weekend Update segment, which turned out to be a big hit. And again, I remember staying up in order to specifically watch him perform the Hanukkah song. And how funny we thought it was. And, uh, of course, that led to the album and everything. I believe the Hanukkah song's on the album. That first one, They're All Gonna Laugh at You. That is such a seminal work in my, like, early comedy education. (laughs) Was just, I binged listen to that fucking comedy album so hard. And then his follow-up one as well, What the Hell Happened to Me? I just listened to The Goat. Remember The Goat? Oh, so funny. Oh, fuck me in the goat ass. (laughs) Yeah, you remember The Goat, Jake. Yep, fuck me in the goat ass. Uh, super loved it. <laughs> I couldn't get enough of it. Especially because it was so, by the way, real quick, just sidebar. Especially because it was so bad to listen to in terms of, like, my parents. It was so <laughs> naughty to get. And I think that was the draw, especially for young boys like myself, to the whole SNL Boys Club at the time, the Bad Boys Club, was, like, they were essentially the representation of my rebellion in my youth comedically right like they were just <laughs> so bad and if my parents only knew what i was listening to on my disc man in the back of this car ride they would be furious with me i loved it they're all gonna laugh at you came out in 1993 and so like about a year before that it was just kind of a after hours project with sandler and his friends and you know among his friends were people like uh, alan covert and tim hurley as well as you know Judd Apatow, Conan O'Brien, David Spade, Rob Schneider. And it was just a chance for them to just, it was pure unfiltered Sandler and like specifically the kind of humor that they actually joked around with. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, the fact was is that the comedy album, which, you know, during the days of Steve Martin and Cheech and Chong were, you know, prolific. Every comedian from Robin Williams to Rodney Dangerfield like the comedy album was part of the comedy experience, but it had kind of gone away in the era of the CD. And so when Sandler was like, I want to make a comedy album, uh, Lauren Michaels was like, ah, I got a friend at Warner records. Like I'll hook you up. And like, it took a lot of negotiating for them to be like, no, 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 this isn't a stand-up album. We want like sound foleying. We want like a full sketch show within the album. We want to create our own universe. And so, the idea of these different characters interacting, different, you know, the uh, overbearing Jewish mother, the buffoon character, like all these kind of variations. Adam Sandler doing his New England voice with the Tollbooth guy, like all these, all these different, like, it's, this is the first kind of Sandler verse proto template that is emerging. And it's emerging from Adam hanging out with his friends. These are all like just them shooting the shit when they, you know, when they're not writing for SNL or, you know, performing stand-up. 
And so, like, it really is born from a very kind of roundtable of gentlemen kind of feeling. And yeah. it really, like, it feels like everything that came after it was born from the energy of that album. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, uh, that was, like, mind-blowing. Like, that was its own corner of mind-blowing uh, for, for me, like, that that little personal CD stuff. And then while that's going on, of course, you also just have this generation of uh, comedy happening on SNL with David Spade, Chris Farley, Chris Rock, Rob Schneider, and Tim Meadows. And, um, you know, of course, Sandler's reoccurring bits. Wasn't a huge fan of the opera man. Loved Canteen Boy. Thought it was so <laughs> weird and just uncomfortable. I, even though I didn't quite, like, I was a little too young for it. But it was just so weird that I just and I just liked anything that was really weird. So I got into it. Um, and he's also doing some movies at this time. So he's kind of he's he's learning, I think, probably the filmmaking process at this time as well with Coneheads and Airheads and Shitheads. No, Shitheads he wasn't <laughs> in. But uh, uh, yeah, Coneheads and Air. I loved him in Airheads it was such a fun movie about the uh, the metal dudes, the grunge rockers rather that uh, take over a radio station. Um, with fake guns, that was a really fun movie with uh, Adam. Chris Farley as the security mm-hmm. guard, bringing mm-hmm. the phrase "good, great, terrific." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, the album comes out, and um, you know, and and all this is going on in my childhood head. Adam Sandler is like a god, and everyone loves him. And of course, little little do I know, critics hate him. The network heads at uh, NBC, which SNL is on, hate him. There's a whole bunch of people that are not into this shtick on TV that he's doing, that actually are opposed to it, actively against it. There is a famous article in, uh, I believe, 1994. uh, New York Magazine has, like, the fall of SNL or, like, when Mm. comedy isn't funny business or something like that. Uh And they do this kind of behind the scenes and they talk about the boys club mentality. They talk about David Spade and Adam Sandler, like goofing off behind the scenes. They talk about how uh, critics hate the show now and how, you know, these frat boys are ruining this esteemed comedy institution. Like uh, there's a reason why Lauren Michaels like fires Sandler and fires uh, Chris Farley. Like there is, this dark energy behind the scenes that is feeling a lot of this, like what we thought was the dizzying yes. heights of the show. Yeah. I literally thought I was like, Oh, this is the best SNL will ever be has ever been. And you know, and yeah, it blew my mind. It starts like going back and reading live from New York, that amazing book on SNL, probably my favorite book on comedy, which is an oral history of SNL and finding that, Oh, actually this, this is looked at as like dark days. <laughs> By a lot of people, which is so fucking crazy to me because it was like the funniest shit ever. Al Franken openly berating the shit out of Janine Garofalo because she tried to actually learn her lines. <laughs> yeah, just just craziness. And uh, I, I, this was like the best. It's just so funny because it it really did define a generation of comedians. And uh, it's so wild to 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 have like that historical out, uh, view on it and and realize it was not the way I thought it was when I was thirteen or whatever. Uh, and uh, yeah. So he, in the mid-90s, is staring down the barrel of having to leave SNL for good. He's just 28 years old. Sandler said, I was probably sad covering up the sadness with being mad, saying, yeah, fuck you. But I remember when I saw Farley and he said, me too. They don't want me either. We were both like, fuck this shit. We got mad together, pretended we weren't sad, pretended this was for the best. And eventually it would be. Uh, And next up, he's going to do Billy Madison and launch his whole 
film career with this weird, what, maybe one of the weirdest movies he's ever done, by the way, is his first one, Billy Madison. Love it. It's so crazy. I wish more of his movies were like this. The movie was directed by Tamara, uh, Tom, Tamra Davis. Tamra. Tamra, my bad. Who had uh, done the gangster rap parody film CB4 before it and would later do films like Half Baked and Britney Spears Crossroads. Okay. She has a very weird career. She's yes. done like music videos. Uh, she's given interviews. Uh, I watched one that was from a couple of years ago for the 25th anniversary of Billy Madison, but it's kind of an interesting energy because she was brought in. Um, she was the last replace. Yeah, she was the last minute replacement. Tamara said the movie was in trouble. Adam was so stressed that his neck had stiffened up and he couldn't move his head. My job was to save the film and make it funny. Uh, and so, yeah, that that is exactly what she did. Honestly, uh, it was co-written by Sandler and his roommate from college, Tim Herlihy. However, Tamara says that, quote, many of the stranger but more, most frequently quoted scenes in Billy Madison were unplanned. I think that's going to set a bit of a precedent for the approach to his films. Tamara says, and it, she she's not wrong, that at the time, and she was a skinny, blonde, cute girl, and that the vibe on set was like, of bros yeah. trying to make the cute girl laugh. Yeah. And so they kept like pushing it further and further and further. One weird piece of factoid that I don't know when to insert into this episode. So <laughs> I'm just going to blurt it out now is the uh, studio had attempted a couple of rewrites for uh, Billy Madison. And even though they had approved that script, they basically just filmed with one of the older scripts. The only thing that made the final cut apparently was the O'Doyle rule scene and the O'Doyle through line in Billy Madison that was brought in by someone outside the Sandler verse. And that became a beloved part of the uh, happy Madison oeuvre. <laughs> Why would someone steal a bunch of little kids lunches? <laughs> oh, it's such a funny movie. Um, what's up with that penguin? It's so weird. Uh, so uh, yeah, the second you saw the penguin, you knew this wasn't just Wayne's World too. <laughs> uh, also, yeah, uh, a little more on Tim Hurley. Hurley, he was actually in NYU, majoring in accounting and international business. When he met and roomed with Sandler, he started helping him write stand-up bits. He later got work in Manhattan as an accountant while going to law school, but continued to work with Sandler while he was at SNL, helping him pin stuff like Canteen Boy, and eventually got hired on the show full time in 1994. He eventually becomes head writer and producer of the show and left in 99 so he actually outlived Sandler on SNL and he goes on to co-write a bunch of Happy Madison films Happy Gilmore The Wedding Singer even Hubie Halloween most recently so he's still working with Sandler on scripts today Tamara said one late night Adam called me to tell me his plans for a dodgeball scene he said he was going to actually hit the children with the ball and he couldn't stop laughing as he told me how funny it is to hurt a kid in comedy instead of telling him he was crazy I believed him and got the parents permission for their kids to get hit genuinely hard the kids Stage started crying parents, man they will sell you out know, it's right? fucking crazy the kids started crying as soon as the ball hit them so I had to cut away before the audience could see I thought that was it's fun. that they were underinflated <laughs> balls on swell, so you really uh, just transfer all that energy. Uh, so Billy Madison opens, and there's actually a dodgeball uh, Billy Madison nod in Hubie Halloween, which is a lot of fun. The most recent uh, Happy Madison production. It also should be noted that uh, this is kind of the perfect era of the PG-13 comedy, where yeah. if I'm 10 years oh, old, I'm amazing. just laughing at the silly penguin. I'm laughing at, you know... Uh, him just I'm enjoying it because there's all these kids around and he's being friends with kids. So he's getting that quadrant. Yes. Locked down. But then but there I'm is also, all these. I'm getting older and there's a lot of weird horny stuff in there and in those albums, by the way, there's a lot of weird horny stuff in those 
CDs as well. And that's drawing me in as well because I am going through puberty. (laughs) I mean, that nanny was oddly sensual. I'm just going to say it was a little weird. Uh, So Billy Madison opens at number one in the box office, but was horribly panned by critics, again pointing to a generation of youth that love the shit out of Sandler's comedy and an older generation of gatekeepers that absolutely hate it. Tim Hurley, he has a great quote. I have a few quotes about getting bad reviews in this episode, which I love. It's so much fun um, because I, uh, hey, I'm no different. I've gotten terrible reviews as well. Tim Hurley, he says, I really haven't ever gotten good reviews. I first started with Billy Madison just getting really bad reviews. It's become one of those things that over 20 years, you'd like your mom and your kids and your friends to read good things about you. Like when my mom would call me, can you believe what they said about you in the Poughkeepsie Journal? That's tough. I've never known anything else. (laughs) Which is crazy because we're about to talk about Happy Gilmore, which I do think holds up as like a classic comedy film. Uh, Another quote about Sandler's relationship with the critics during a uh, 2004 interview. Uh, When I got into this, I never thought about reviews. I never thought about what people would say about me. I was just a young guy who was excited to become a comedian and actor, and I just wanted to get to do what I got to do. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Sandler also said, I get it good from critics. I can't really think of any specific ones. I mean, I always see the words sophomoric, juvenile, moronic, useless, hate, unwatchable. I can't think of a quote I laughed at, though, which I think is a great... Dude, honestly, though, it's so fucking true. It's like, yeah, but the one thing they can't do is make you laugh. They can tear you down and shit on you, but he's making people laugh and feel good, and you're not, and you'll, so you'll always be the shithead critic. Either way, I mean, critics, whatever, they're going to exist, but I think it's also great to shit on them. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so, yes, Happy Gilmore is the next film, and of course, again, these are the two like titular movies when it comes to the production company, Happy Madison. Uh, the next film, again, written by Hurley and Sandler, but this time directed by Dennis Duggan, who started out as an actor but got into directing later in life with movies like Problem Child, which, again, talk about a movie I saw with my dad, and I loved it, and he fucking hated it. I saw it in the theater with him, and I walked out, and I was like, that was great! My dad was like, that was the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it was so funny! One of the first times I was like, oh, people hate things that are in movie theaters? I'd never heard of that before. Uh, there was also this hidden gem, I'm so glad I get to just mention this movie, Brain Donors. He directed a movie called Brain Donors. It is this, like, amazing comedy movie. It is very, very Marx Brothers inspired. I've never even heard of this. Look this movie up. I, I, I don't I don't know how well it holds up. I, I do remember, like, Henry and I, Henry Zabrowski, last podcast, blah, 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 doing podcasts. It's very good. It's very fun to listen to. Um, he and I really bonded over our childhood love of this film. We used to like watch it with our dad. It's it's like very Marx Brothers, but like modern day, modern day for then. It was like the eighties or nineties by that point. And I forget the cat. It's just so funny. Check out Brain Donors. Try to find it. It's so good. It would just like pop up on HBO every once in a while, and I would like love it from start to start to finish. All right, well, moving on from that. Uh, he goes on to direct a bunch of Happy Madison films, this Dennis Duggan guides, like uh, The Benchwarmers, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, and Grown Ups. And apparently Duggan, Duggan wanted to give Sandler a role in one of his earlier films, and the producers wouldn't let him. So when he walked in the, into the interview for the director gig, Sandler said, you're the guy who wanted to give me that part. I don't need to know anything else. I want to work with you. And again, I think this really speaks towards his wanting to create more than just like a great working relationship. He's creating like a family here with people who stick up for each other, who, who, you know, who, who, who stick their necks out for each other. It's so important to create this beautiful collaborative process. And I think that that, again, is just like why 
they're so successful and have such a good time doing this. The film, uh, Happy Gilmore, very much inspired by Caddyshack, as well as a friend of Sandler's that played ice hockey, whom he played golf with and could drive the ball super far down the lane. Uh, the two disagree on who wrote, by the way. Um, uh, Tim Hurley and Adam Sandler disagree on who wrote the I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast line. Of course, if you don't know this, the bad guy, the Shooter McGavin, the bad guy in the movie, he's talking to Happy Gilmore, and he's just like, I eat pieces of shit like you for gr- breakfast. Then Adam Sandler's character's like, you eat pieces of shit for breakfast? And it was very funny. And it still is one of the classic comedy lines from, from a comedy movie. It is that so actor, stupid. actor, <laughs> his like, major career now he's amazing. is... Is just being ridiculous villains, yeah. No, he literally makes a killing on cameo in character as Shooter oh. McGavin. You don't hire the actor to do Shooter <laughs> McGavin. You look up Shooter McGavin on That's cameo so and you get, of course, you pay amazing. him $500 to tell your best friend on his birthday that he eats pieces of shit like him. <laughs> Um, anyways, again, this film, huge success in the box office. Again, it is absolutely panned by critics. Although they talk a little more favorably about this. And this might be one of the slight high points in, in critical stuff. What's funny too, by the way, side note, I think probably the most critically acclaimed film of all the Happy Madison productions is Funny People, the Judd Apatow movie. I thought it was, I didn't think it was that great. I like some a lot of these other ones a lot, but I mean, you know, I don't. I mean, I don't want to talk too much shit or whatever. But like, it's just funny to me what critics think are should be lauded. In the beginning, I did uh, when I did Billy Madison, but now I realize about caring what critics say. But now I realize I didn't get into this business to have a critic like me. I got in to get people to laugh. As a kid, I went to the movies to laugh my ass off, to hang out with my friends, to go on a date. And damn it, that's exactly what people do when they go now see his movie. Sandler movies. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 100%. Hey, do you want to go see a movie? Hell yeah. I love being sitting in a chair and watching a movie. Yes. I love it when the people I recognize and I feel like they're friends of mine have fun on the screen and I get to sit and eat popcorn. It is fun for me. I enjoy this experience <laughs> and only a weirdo would complain about the quality of it. <laughs> um, speaking of the quality of it, another one-two punch. And again, I think it was around this time with The Wedding Singer and the water boy i started to drift away from the adam sandler hype train i would say and that would mm. yeah with water boy and the wedding singer i think those oh, are like wait the wedding singer was so good though i really enjoyed the wedding singer but i think those are the last two movies which is funny because this is before happy madison proper gets established but those two movies i think were kind of the last bash i think it really was water boy because wedding singer came out before water boy right I, I think in I en- my head in my head um it was Waterboy. Okay, so Wedding Singer came out after Happy Gilmore. Yeah, but it was just incredible—a great romantic comedy that, like, even yeah. a fucking weird, angry twelve-year-old could be like, "Oh, I'm happy that their love is pure." I hated love at that point because no girls liked me, so I got mad at that part of it. But go on. And Waterboy was a return to the like uh, underdog kind of idiot. In a world, uh, this one, Waterboy was a little bit different. The energy was different because even though he's doing the Bobby Boucher Cajun man voice for most of it, and he is silly, uh, you have like Henry Winkler and Kathy Bates, and Mm -hmm. he's in an incredibly silly universe on top of that, and he's mostly reacting to it more than anything else. Yeah, he's starting to become that straight man that he wasn't really before. Yeah, a little bit. I see that Uh for sure. 
And in the meantime, he helped produce Dirty Work, so he already gets an infinite pass for the rest of his life. Dirty Work, so good. Hell yeah, street fight music. <laughs> I like a pina colada. It's so funny. Uh, yeah, in yeah. In the land of the skunk, <laughs> the no-nosed man is king. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so yeah, I love Dirty Work. Sorry, Norm Macdonald. Another another major player in all of this, by the way. He's going to be in a lot of these movies. But yeah, Waterboy and Wedding Singer, though, were also just really convincing. So convincing that a production company is created. They're both directed by Frank Karachi and both released in 1998, which is kind of amazing. Both of these films end up making over $100 million worldwide. So that is how Happy Madison Productions comes to be. With two box office hits under his belt, Sandler Ops created a production company aptly named Happy Madison Productions in 1999. The other owner is Jack Jaraputo. He's like that unnamed one. You know what I mean? There's always that business guy behind it all. Even Troma has that guy, right? Uh, Jack Jaraputo is a film producer who worked on his first two, uh, who worked on Sandler's first two and went on to become uh, one of the top 25 highest grossing producers in U.S. box office history and the highest grossing producer for comedy films ever. He and Sandler were best friends back in NYU. Uh, and again, this guy's kind of a Tim Hurley character. Uh, according to Jaraputo, he originally was to be a lawyer, but ended up hating law school, went out to L.A. on a lark to visit Sandler, and slept on his couch for three months until Sandler's roommate at the time, Judd Apatow, hired him as an assistant on The Ben Stiller Show while Sandler went off and hit it big with SNL. Jaraputo uh, was an associate producer on Billy Madison and a co-producer on Happy Gilmore before they founded the company together. Uh, and the uh, by the way, that old man uh, in that Happy Madison production Productions logo that is Stanley Sandler, uh, that is Adam's late father. The uh, first film they make under the Happy Madison production uh, moniker is Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. Did you see it in the theater like I did? Jake? I saw it in the theater. That <laughs> aquarium scene was definitely silly. Again, one of the last comedy, like big, you know, Happy Madison joints that I would see in the theater for quite some time, but also had a blast. Really came in with very low expectations and ended up walking out of this theater and being like, that was fun as shit. I do remember that, even as I was aging out a little bit from the Happy Madison uh, whole movie deal. The most recent film I've already mentioned, Hubie Halloween, was released in 2020 on Netflix. We'll talk about the Netflix deal later on. But uh, still, just pretty amazing span of films. I mean, go look it up on like IMDb or whatever. It is like kind of incredible how many movies they've been pumped out over the years, um, for better or for worse. Uh, the only two Sandler films not released under Happy Madison were Punch Drunk Love and Do you remember Spanglish? I never saw Spanglish. I saw Spanglish and was disappointed because it really is just about um, the crushing uh, sadness of a failing domestic situation in which mm. nobody is quite at fault. And uh, it's just uh, not great. <laughs> well, I will say about Punch on Glove, it is one of my favorite films. It's a P.T. Anderson movie starring Adam Sandler. It's absolutely incredible. It's kind of a romantic comedy. It's kind of a stress dream. It all rolled into one. I just absolutely love that movie. It has so many beautiful moments in it, so, much, so many hilarious moments in it as well. And uh, yeah, so definitely check that out. And that that was definitely a moment too, because I was seeing Punch Drunk Love in college. That was when it came out for me. And that was also that eye-opening moment of like, oh, he's totally capable of being like a really fucking great actor. He just wants to have fun with the movies he makes. It's also like, it's the perfect role because yeah. behind all of his characters, there is this anger. Like uh -huh. he is an, I mean, uh, we'll find out later, but like, 
he is definitely, you know, it comes out in his performance. Hey, shut up. Like that was an awful impersonation, <laughs> but like that anger is real. Uh, Tamara Davis talks about like uh, being on set and watching him get into an argument with his then girlfriend on Billy Madison and seeing this side of him that she had never seen before. And like, a lot of comedians are angry. You almost need to have a certain amount of like indignation at the world around of, around you to make fun of it that hard. But like it was, it's literally just the same kind of rage that was present in the water boy and in uh happy Gilmore, just kind of unleashed in a more realistic way. So mm-hmm. like, it's, it's, it's really just, it was the perfect movie for him. Uh But punch truck love comes out in 2002 and we can't talk about Adam Sandler's journey without talking about a little movie called Little Nicky. All right. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Jake. I have a uh, Little Nicky. I, I've never sat down and watched it. It was not one of the selections I pulled for the uh, purposes of this episode. So please explain to me why you're doing this to me right now. What's the deal with Little Nicky? <laughs> so Little Nicky, I think, is the one of the first major missteps uh, yes. in Sandler's journey. And I think it hails from the fact that he was hitting his stride so hard that I don't think people knew to say no to him mm. because uh little Nicky is a supernatural comedy about this bizarre hell based mythology in which the sons of Satan enter uh, the human world to usurp their father. And Adam Sandler is making a very weird, cho- he's talking like this out of the side of his mouth. He literally spends the entire movie with his lip in his lower right corner of his face. And it's not particularly so, funny. Hubie Halloween, go on. He's just, it is, he's just <laughs> talking really weird. And I'm sure if I knew the guy that he claims he based the character off of, I would appreciate it. He also has emo hair, but there's millions of dollars of special effects on screen. The jokes don't quite pay off. And it's just kind of a meandering movie directed by uh, Stephen Brill. Uh, Adam Sandler actually talks about, I'm going to stop doing the voice. Uh, (laughs) He talks about how uh, he tried to beat out the outline and story of this movie with him and Hurley and Alan Covert, uh, star of Grandma's Boy, constant presence in the Sandler movies. And even the producer just didn't have a flow going. And so Stephen Brill, like kind of, took this movie, helped them create this outline and it just like didn't quite pay off. And it cost uh, the studio new line pictures, a ton of money. It was the first honest to God flop. And I think a lot of different things were happening. Um, Number one, new line studios were already in the shitter. This was like a really bad year for them. They also made Town and Country, which is one of the most maligned, overproduced, over reshot, like expensive comedies ever made. They were just really fucking the bed. And the whole kind of uh, studio had a giant shakeup after this. But it just it proved that a god can bleed. That like Adam (laughs) Sandler can make something not funny. This was also kind of uh, 2000 to I'd say 2004 is kind of the weird dark ages of uh, film comedy because what Wayne's World kind of started in the mid-90s with uh-huh. these SNL-based character gag comedies lost its luster. I, You know, there wasn't enough new talent coming in. The formula where, like, I'm a weird outsider with a, with a weird voice and I'm going to upset some institution with my crazy ways just didn't quite hit as hard. Because we get, uh, I we get, you know, and especially through 
Happy Madison, we get yeah. stuff like Joe Dirt, Joe Dirt. the animal, mm-hmm. uh, the, the horrible, horrible, the master of disguise, yeah, Dickie Roberts. Unfortunately, yeah, so Dana Carvey, that was kind of an intended comeback film for him. One of the 0%, I believe, or one of the lowest mm-hmm. rated at least uh, films on, I, I hate even referencing Rotten Tomatoes because I think Rotten Tomatoes kind of sucks, but whatever. It's That's kind of the general reference point people make, especially when talking about um, Adam Sandler movies, to the point where he literally says in his 100% fresh comedy special, which is named that, I believe, in reference to uh, Rotten Tomatoes, um, he's, he sings a song at near the end. In it, at one point, he sings, that I believe it's the final song, he sings that he hopes that after all those Rotten Tomatoes people die horrible deaths, which is so funny. But uh, yeah, to- totally. And I think, and I agree with you, Jake, and I think that um, up until you get to them in 2004, going back to the well, realizing the what what made the wedding singer work so well um, was a Drew Barrymore and b like a very formulaic romantic comedy plot, and then they go, oh, let's hit this lane and kind of go after a bit of an older generation that just wants a good date movie so that they can you know essentially eventually Netflix and chill. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to sixty percent on brands you love. Rag and Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joe's, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. So I honestly didn't think about it until we started talking about this. 2004 is when Anchorman comes out. Yes. And we get to the uh, kind of new improvised, conversational, more relatable comedy movies that kind of usurp the old SNL order Mm. that, you know, the 90s SNL guys got a little too old to relate to the youths anymore and to have that like immediate energy. So now we get Anchorman and... um, Jonah Hill ephemera, <laughs> I yeah. I, you know, all these, all the movies that kind of come, the Paul Feig's, all this, uh, the trend kind of goes away from what Adam Sandler and his friends were doing and what made them laugh. Um, but in the meantime, after Little Nicky, they're looking for a new studio. And so Happy Madison enmeshes itself with Sony Pictures and Sony Pictures just fucking invests in these guys. They give them office space. They give uh, Adam Sandler access to uh, private jets. They like basically give him huge sweetheart deals where he gets like $20 million a picture plus like points on the gross. Like he does box office mojo for them. Uh, weirdly enough, him and Will Smith keep this whole uh, studio afloat forever and both Sandler and Will Smith by the 2010s kind of lose the thread a little because the studios just don't have any pushback because it's, you know, they need to keep them happy and they need to keep making money for them. So around 2004, like you said, they go back to the romantic comedy. Well, with uh, 50 first dates, uh, click another supernatural, like family movie that isn't, you know, it does. It's not the same formula 
as the old SNL based character it's movies. It's kind of surprising Click worked at all because Click feels like those bad movies that came out in the 90s, you know, like Mom and Dad Save the World and, mm-hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. Or even there's even one, what's, is that the TV one? Stay Tuned? Was that the yeah. name of it? All those kind of weird, weird movies where they just add like a weird, it's, and the animal fits in this a little bit too, which I think, again, the animal didn't do as hot as like Deuce Bigelow, which is about more real feeling about a guy who just becomes like a male sex worker, you know, um, whereas Click is like this bizarre magical thing. I guess there was like Liar Liar around this time, so it's not like unheard liar, of. Liar Liar, Bruce Almighty, these yeah. kind of supernatural family comedies fucking destroy. People no, love that No, that was 97 shit. actually, yeah. I mean, it, 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 but it's a bit of a trait of the 90s and Click comes out in 2007, or 6 rather. And I, I think that that's why it, it. a lot of people were like, Definitely not going to watch that. That looks like a movie that was made two decades ago. And then slowly it became this meme online and this little inside thing of like, hey, click makes you cry. (laughs) It's actually kind of ironic. uh, You mentioned Liar Liar because Adam Sandler's career up until this point is a kind of like alternate universe version of Jim Carrey's career. If he didn't kind of become a weird recluse. You know what I mean? Uh, I'll agree with that. He has to experiment. He has to kind of just keep churning out stuff that, like, the studios want, and he gets to just keep collecting a paycheck. Yes, big time. But then there's some really good stuff that comes in the years after that. I mean, there's some definite highs with, uh, oh, first of all, I believe it's, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry is when Kevin James enters the picture. Have you seen that one? Again, that's one I wish I had seen in preparation for this, but just didn't quite have enough time to get to it. Did you? Uh, I watch did that one? not. I sh- I honestly should. I've been the. I'm just wrapping up a move, so yeah, yeah, I Jake's was been a lot it. of building furniture, unpacking boxes, uh, installing curtains. You know, like real, real cool guy stuff. And by me, I mean mostly my beautiful fiance Marie. <laughs> but so at this point, I'm in New York City. I've completely written off Adam Sandler and Happy Madison pictures. I actively hate, I think, stuff like Paul Blart Mall Cop. I'm just like, this mm-hmm. is the death of our culture. No, um, because we're watching <laughs> Seth Rogen in yes. Observe and Report, yes. a real working I man's slice Observe of life. Report. Yeah, that was Observe so weird. Observe was great. It was so good. It was so dark and fucked up. It was like the anti-Paul Blart. But now, again, I feel like I want to now go watch Paul Blart Mall Cop because I think I'd probably like it. <laughs> I think I'd enjoy it. Like the, and, and again, that's where I'm saying that's where the two eras of comedy where like Seth Rogen, it has our heart and souls now. And Adam Sandler's just like, well, I'm just going to leapfrog Holden and Jake and go straight to your dad's. Yes, yes, totally. And then and that's where we get to the grownups era, essentially. And man, do we get some highs and lows here, because this is when we get to I will talk more about Bucky Larson, born to be a star uh, in a little bit, because. Wow, I watched half of that one. Uh, we watched Jack and Jill. I mean, this is this is the point where now Adam Sandler and Happy Madison Pictures and the whole crew have this reputation, especially with younger people on the internet, as being this like schlocky, bad, you know, um, just pump them out to make the money kind of uh, films, you know, and they've just totally fallen in this way. But then again, and and again, this is when the older generation, the boomers. I think pick up on what Adam Sandler's throwing down and really are quite enjoying it. So when you go home for Thanksgiving or whatever, and you know, dad wants to watch Jack and Jill and you're like, I guess, you know what I mean? The same dad that was like, I can't stand Billy Madison. Yes. A hundred percent. 2008 has, you don't mess with the Zohan, which I don't know is technically a happy Madison thing. Yes, it is. And it's also, um, one of the first times grandma's boy kind of, and definitely don't mess with the Zohan was one of the first times when I was, you know, now living in New York city, 
um, that it was like, oh, he kind of came back with this one, or this is like a return to form a little bit. You should definitely watch it. It was definitely, for me, one of those movies where like the first 20 minutes, that kind of comedy where like the first 15 minutes is like, this movie's going to be amazing, and then it kind of <laughs> falls off after that, like that it has a really strong opening, but still, yeah, it was, it was definitely that. But yeah, that was a Schmeigel joint. I mean, Grandma's Boy is a classic because it talks about how funny it is to fuck old ladies. Yes. Whereas You Don't Mess With the Zohan has very troubling ideas about the Israel-Palestine situation. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Oh, and I guess this is when kind of um, maybe not not uh, uh, the staple of Happy Madison movies being not PC starts to kind of develop, I think. The idea that, that um, yeah, you know, Rob Schneider gets out there as any kind of cultural character and sort of <laughs> just does his thing. You're like, that's probably not, not uh, cool, but somehow they get a pass. I don't know. That the... I wish I could live my life with the audacity of Rob Schneider doing a foreign guy accent in a movie in the 2000s. <laughs> um, also, I was saying earlier, uh, I'll repeat, there was also Madison 23. This is a short-lived subsidiary of Happy Madison, which was aimed at drama films. But they only put out, actually, probably two of the, high, the, the two highest rating, I believe, rated films of uh, the whole Happy Madison uh, history, Rain Over Me and Funny People. Uh, and then they ended up shutting it down since neither did that well in the box office, which is so interesting because, again, you have this bizarre, if it does well here, it's not going to do well here issue for Happy Madison, where if it did, finally they get the critical acclaim and no one goes and sees the movie, so then they go back to making movies that critics fucking hate and making mad money with Grown Ups 2 and shit like that. Well, for Rain Over Me, uh, the heart-wrenching story of a man who loses his family on 9-11 and then becomes regresses to a state of a uh, closed-off kind of perpetual child man. Um, the movie features heavily uh, Shadow of the Colossus and by extension, as society sought out to punish Shadow of the Colossus for being too original of a video game, that movie also did badly. So, uh, yeah, as we move in through to the up-to-date uh, run of of Adam Sandler and Happy Madison pictures with uh, the Netflix deal. I just wanted to take a moment to spotlight some... He, he clearly works with a stable of people. And so I think it's important to kind of throw those names out there who who were behind all these movies and in front of all these movies as well, all the, uh, the actors he brings back over and over again. But first of all, I want to talk about the stable of directors. So first of all, you have Steve Brill. He did movies like Little Nicky and Mr. Deeds. Um, he uh, And his first director role was that fat kid movie, Heavyweights. Jake, do you remember mm-hmm. Heavyweights? Uh, <laughs> though his first writing credit is for the original The Mighty Ducks movie. Then you have Dennis Duggan, we mentioned before. He did Happy Gilmore. He directed the grown-up movies. Um, and I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Frank Karachi did films like Click and Zookeeper. So he does some of those more like supernatural comedy films. He did Wedding Singer as well and Waterboy before those. Uh, and most recently, he did The Ridiculous Six. Then you have Tom Brady, who got into the business writing and producing episodes of The Critic and The Simpsons. He goes on to direct Happy Madison movies like... Bad ones like The Animal, The Hot Chick, and Bucky Larson, Born to be a Star, which is weird because his pedigree is really good with The Critic and The Simpsons. Then you have Fred Wolf, directed such highs for the company as The House Bunny, which really is great, and a Ferris vehicle, fantastic. But he also directed Lowe's like Joe Dirt 2, Beautiful Loser, which is somehow a Crackle exclusive. Oh, got to get on that Crackle money. (laughs) 
I'm more, I mean, I'm holding out for that to be bucks, but Crackle maybe as a second choice. Uh, Peter Seagal made his directorial debut with the third installment of the Naked Gun films, and then Tommy Boy for Happy Madison. He did 51st Dates, The Longest Yard, and Anger Management. So a little bit more prestigious, I feel like, his films. I mean, it's kind of interesting to find the, the different people behind the different movies. And you're like, oh, that's the guy that made those types of movies for Happy Madison. And uh, Nicholas uh, Goosen's first film for Happy Madison was Grandma's Boy. He's done some other stuff. So again, that he, you know, kind of bringing it back to uh, classic comedy form a little bit with Grandma's Boy. Uh, as ter- far as the writing process goes, you know, Sandler doesn't do a lot of interviews, but I did get this uh, back in, this is an interview back in 2000, and uh, he's referencing Little Nicky with, the, with this one. What we do is we sit in a room and try to beat out an online for the, uh, beat out an outline for the movie. Say, you know, we come up with a storyline. Actually, on this movie, me and Herlihy were writing, and Covert was helping Alan Covert, who is uh, credited as associate producer on the movie, and Jack Jaraputo, our producer. And we didn't have a flow going, and we called this guy Steve Brillup, who I mentioned already, and he actually rejuvenated us and got us a good storyline, and we all jammed together on that. It's just trying to make each other laugh. Trying to have the script make some sense, the story make some sense, and make sure we get enough laughs. <laughs> so not as, not as important, the whole story part. Uh, so also there's the stable of actors. Uh, I already mentioned just now Alan Covert. He studied uh, theater at NYU. I think he maybe has been in the most movies with Adam Sandler. He's got 16 credits. Uh, as t- and far Usually as- as a homeless guy of some kind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah, uh, it's kind of crazy. He also did get his starring role in Grandma's Boy. He's that guy, uh, the lead in that film. Covert appeared in Sandler's first film as well, Going Overboard. He was the cruise ship's bartender, just a little... Fun fact there. Rob Schneider, of course, started out in stand-up, made it onto HBO Young Comedian Special, which got him a writing job in SNL, which quickly led to being a major player on the show with reoccurring characters like the Richmeister, uh, that annoying office worker by the coffee machine. Uh, copy machine. This is where he, uh, of course, meets Schneider meets Sandler, uh, and they, of course, they have appeared in 12 movies together. He's in everything and, of course, has that, you can do it! from a large crowd kind of reoccurring thing in, in the movies. Um, Nick Swartzen, this is an interesting character. Uh, he's appeared in eight movies with Sandler. He originally did stand-up in Minneapolis where he grew up. He got expelled four times from school and even went to rehab at, the, uh, at that time. And after working in stand-up circuits for a bit, he got a Comedy Central Presents special, which caught the eye of Sandler. One of the most legendary stand-up uh, Comedy Central Presents ever. I remember dying at his presents. Well, it's this is incredible. the funny thing, because he is the star Nicholas. of, like, maybe... Nicholas. He's maybe the star of the worst Happy Madison production, <laughs> Bucky Larson, Born to be a Star, which I had the great fortune of watching recently. And I will say, though, while watching it, I'm like, God, how did this fall apart so bad? He was on the Norm MacDonald show, that YouTube show that was running for a while that so was so fucking funny, and um, he was like maybe my fav- favorite episode. He is genuinely hilarious. It makes me sad that he's also <laughs> the star of Bucky Larson. And he's so unfunny in that movie because he's actually genuinely like a hilarious dude who appears in so many of these movies. Kevin Nealon played in bands in high school. Uh, he ends up uh, uh, doing six years of stand up, getting his uh, debut at the Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson back in 1984. And then finally got on SNL via Dana Carvey. 
Kevin James, we already mentioned, of course, he was already kind of big. He was doing stand-up that got him on Everybody Loves Raymond, which got him his own. Kind of the last dude who got that big sitcom deal (laughs) of the, like, comedy boom of the 80s and 90s uh, with The King of Queens. His first film cameo was in 50 First Dates, and his big film series, Paul Blart Mall Cop, was, of course, a Happy Madison joint. David Spade, have to mention him with this. Uh, you know, he, he grew up poor, went to a community college, got a business degree from Arizona State University, performed stand-up in college, which he kept doing after college in L.A., and it was, again, Dennis Miller that got him over at SNL, where he met Sandler. John Lovitz came out of L.A. He was actually inspired by Woody Allen's film Take the Money and Run, uh, and later studied his stand-up routines, as well as Lenny Bruce, ended up eventually joining SNL in 1985. Then you have Chris Rock, of course, as well. Grew up in Brooklyn, started doing stand-up at 19 at New York City's Catch a Rising Star Club. Eventually was spotted by Eddie Murphy, took him in as a mentor. He joins the cast of SNL working alongside, of course, Chris Farley, Adam Sandler, uh, Rob Schneider, and David Spade. I think they all joined at the same time in 1990. Uh, There's some other shout-outs. Of course, you have Norm MacDonald in a lot of these movies. Colin Quinn, Tim Meadows is fantastic, man. He was great in Hubie Halloween. Shout-outs to other frequent appearances as well by Jackie Sandler, Sonny Sandler, and Sadie Sandler. That's his wife and two daughters. They've appeared in several of his films. They're all, they're like most, like most of his movies lately have those, those ladies in there. There's also Henry Winkler. He first coached Sandler's character in The Waterboy. Uh, the tennis player known for his rage on the court, John McEnroe, has been in a handful of films. Shout outs also to prestigious actors, John Turturro and Steve Buscemi. I kind of can't believe what... Sandler has gotten Steve Buscemi to do over the years in Happy Madison uh, productions. It's kind of, I'm like, is he too good for this? (laughs) I think he just loves working with him. The last big road bump in the Sandler journey is 2015's Pixels. Another, yet another entry in one of the worst reviewed movies of all time. Highest grossing movie for Happy Madison productions at the box office, by the way. But it was so expensive to make and such a nightmare to produce that it only ended up making like $10 million in profit when all okay. was said and done. Gotcha. And so uh, basically by this point, Sony had realized they had fucked up. Uh, you know, Adam Sandler's movies weren't like justifying the costs, the jets, the prop, you know, the profit share losses by c- keeping him retained. And so this was their big attempt to kind of take Sandler and put him into a big franchise vehicle, one chock full of retro references. You know, they watched the uh, the MCU, they watched the Lego movies, they watched the Star Wars reboots, and they understood they needed to get a piece of that franchise blockbuster spectacle pie. And so the funny thing is, even though the movie is a disaster, uh, there's all these leaked emails of them being like, I just saw the dailies like, oh, man, Pixels is going to be great. Uh, Another one from uh, written to Chairman Amy Pascal on the Pixels set going great. Martha Stewart was amazing. This is going to be funny. (laughs) You know, people were like dealing with uh, weird requests like Sandler cast his wife as the first lady in the movie. Uh, The jet, the private jet budget was going out of hand. Negotiations were breaking down with Sandler over a $200 million Candyland adaptation um, to which, uh, you know, one of the develop one of the executives was like developing with Sandler is complicated, as you both know, even better than I do. I did my best to bring out a singular emotional idea and narrative structure to the version he was developing because the bar for these movies are really high and you can't just string a bunch of jokes together to which Pascal famously replied in a widely reported email 
Adam is an asshole, and this is more his fault than anyone's, but what we did was not communicate with each other and make assumptions. Mm. Maybe I didn't pay attention to what you were telling me. Sandler made up in his head that everyone forced him to write this script while he was shooting pixels at great personal sacrifice and to him and his family, and he was convinced that all of you loved it and wanted to make it the way he said. So, like, he's getting shoved into these expensive movies. It's not fun for him. Pixels famously in another email was, uh, you know, they were patting each other on the back about how this was going to be a great uh, family movie because there's no poop jokes or sex jokes in it, which is like, why do you even want Sandler if, that, <laughs> if you don't want that in a movie? Right. But it was a big, expensive fiasco. And so uh, when it was time, also Josh Gad fucks Qbert in this movie. I, they get around it narratively to explain why he's not technically fucking Qbert, but he fucks Qbert in this movie. <laughs> um, so like, I, it was time for Adam Sandler to just kind of take his ball and go home. By which I mean earn even more hundreds of millions of dollars with Netflix. <laughs> yeah. So. Back in 2014, Sandler signs a deal with Netflix to produce and star in four films for the streaming service for $250 million. And again, this is because the heads of Netflix are just looking at algorithms and realizing that like everybody loves watching his movies on their streaming platform. And so, again, it's this funny situation where he just keeps getting to get millions of dollars to make movies because... No matter what critics say, they just can't stop people from watching the shit out of his movies. And uh, the deal is re-upped in 2017 after the film Murder Mystery, co-starring Jennifer Aniston, was viewed in 83 million households. Hell, even Ridiculous 6, with its 0% Rotten Tomatoes score, as I mentioned before, set a viewership record when it came out as Netflix's most-watched new release ever. It's kind of insane. The most watched thing has a zero percent rating. It, it doesn't make not only sense a zero percent rating. It made awful headlines when a lot of uh, this is yes. ridiculous. Six, right? Yeah, yeah. Native American actors walked off the set because uh-huh. they were like, "I don't want to make jokes about like shitting in dirt and like being in a teepee all day." Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. No, there was apparently the cultural advisor walked off set um, uh, as well. But yeah, I, I mean, and it, but at least I will say, you know, amidst all of that too, though, you do have some. Very promising stuff coming out. That 100% fresh stand-up special is fucking fantastic. Apparently, Murder Mystery, the one I just mentioned, is great. uh, Or a lot of fun, at least. The Wrong Missy, people really enjoyed. Um, Like, actual, you know, comedians that I know enjoyed it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, and Hubie Halloween was super fun. I really, really had a great time with that the other night. And I totally, like, now I'm, like, want to kind of go back and watch just a bunch. I just want to let it wash over me. It's like heroin in movie form. These, these comedies, you know? It's really mm-hmm. not... They don't want you to laugh that hard because that would involve too much physical exertion on your part. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just want you to just have it just kind of go like, uh-huh, oh, I see, that's funny. <laughs> I mean, or even just if you're a moviegoer overseas and the subtleties of, like, English, you're trying to, like, read the <laughs> subtitles, like, you know, you don't need to have too much context for Kevin James Fat Man Fall Down. Yes, funny. 100%. Fat Man Fall Down Funny. Uh, so yes, a couple little little quick hits. Uh, paid vacation. 
uh, is definitely was definitely <laughs> confirmed in May of 2014. Sandler went on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Kimmel asked him if his movies are flimsy excuses for paid vacations, and Sandler emphatically replied, yes. Sandler said, I had done it since 50 first dates. It was written in another place. I said, imagine if we did it in Hawaii. How great would that movie be? And they said, yeah, that's a very artistic idea. I've been doing that ever since. Uh, and then there's also an egregious amount of product placement. Of course, we already made the reference to Dunka 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 Gino. Dunkin' Donuts is just all over Jack and Jill. Little Nicky actually uses Popeye's chicken to save the world in the film. Uh <laughs> Um, uh, others include Wendy's on Mr. Deeds does like almost like a full just stops for a Wendy's commercial. KFC is all over the Grown Ups movie. Twinkies and Click, Gatorade and the Waterboy, Budweiser in every movie pretty much. Uh, it's it's in there somewhere probably just to get free beer on set. Uh, Adam Sandler during the Sony years is constantly using Sony Ericsson phones and Sony yes. Vio laptops prominently in every scene. Yes, so much of it. So they're always on vacation and they are just getting all that good product placement money every single movie because he gets to hang out with his buddies and if it's more money for his buddies more money for his family and he's having fun working with people that he's having fun working with and when he gets off the plane it's not the critics from you know uh time magazine that he has to deal with no people walk up to him and be like hey man i fucking love jack and joe like he's doing great they love it and i I totally get it it's so funny the stuff that people bash him for like the vacation thing product placement and just like that he just makes movies with the buddies like all of those things are like yeah how great would that be if you had that (laughs) i think it's a lot of jealousy involved with would people bash what what if i don't hate the player i hate the game yeah a little bit and i that's what's so funny about me as a comic you know talking about tim and eric in our previous episode is making me revisit a lot of comedy stuff and this episode really made me revisit how i think i'm just over being a comedy snob and i'm ready to embrace this new reality where i just i'll just watch paul blart and have a good time holden yeah hey um how i know you're expecting uh (laughs) an addition to your family aren't you Yes, exactly. I'm becoming so a dad. So would you say that you're you're becoming a dad? Yes. And as a natural extension, you now find late Adam Sandler movies that much more charming. I can't the cycle wait continues. to make my future daughter watch, um, I don't know, Paul Blart Mall Cup 2 or... You should uh, do that thing where you put the headphones over the pregnant belly and just play They're All Gonna Laugh at You. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do... Uh, <laughs> but not Bucky Larson. Oh my God, really quick. <laughs> so I watched Bucky Larson and, and you know, this is the this is the experience I had with it. It is, it is just like so weirdly horny again. I think when you get too horny, it just, everything shuts down. I think when you make a comedy thing 100% about sex... It's a very hard thing to pull off for especially like a full movie or even a TV show. It's just very hard to go that route and stay in that route because it just gets so like your eyes just glaze over after a while of it. It's just all about like how tiny his penis is and whatever. Um, But uh, yeah, I also, though, will admit, I mean, I probably would have written that movie at the same time. Like I see me writing that script at the same time back Mm -hmm. in back in New York and in the mid to late 2000s. Like I don't. I, I I both despise the film and acknowledge that I'm no better than it, you know? And I think maybe that's my journey with this whole going through these movies is like, as much as we love to talk shit, you know, I, I'm no better than this. And I could probably, I think I could, I could potentially write a movie as a comedy film as strong as like a house bunny, but uh, uh, I could also easily write a Bucky Larson. And so I'm just no Holden. better than it. 
within all of us, there is a Jack and Jill waiting to squirm out <laughs> yeah. with very little effort. It's really hard to pull off. It's it's kind of and it's kind of incredible just how many movies we're looking at here. I'm like staring at the list of them. I mean, it's really a lot of fucking movies to pump out every single year, for better for worse. I have a couple quotes to finish this out. Um, this one's from Kevin Smith on why he's done so many Sandler films. It's Sandler. It's Sandler himself because he's the nucleus of this all, and he's the one that sets the table for for this. Uh, Uh, He makes it amazing. I love seeing the people I already knew on set. It's like a big summer camp where you hang out with all these talented people and you get to riff with them. You get to have fun with them. And there's all these new people he's bringing into the fold. It's just a big party. Lauren Lapkus has this to say. She recently uh, started her first Happy Madison production with... uh, I believe it's her first with the wrong Missy, at least starring role. One thing that's really nice is that there is a feeling of family within the production because a lot of people are actually related. But even if they're not related, they've worked together for like 20 years. He's really loyal to his crew, people doing hair and makeup in every single department. So most of the people had worked on Happy Madison films for decades. It was nice to feel like I was immediately brought into the fold that way. Again, speaking of the fold, it's this like awesome family to be brought into because it's like, if, if they like you, you'll just get to keep making money, making these fun comedies and awesome locales. And here's a final uh, quote from Adam Sandler himself. I don't know what drives me to succeed. I know I want to always do the best I can. I never was like that as a kid. I guess I was in Little League Baseball as far as I wanted to be good at, at that, but I certainly wasn't the best at school. But this comedy thing and making movies and stuff, I love it so much that I do get driven to push myself as hard as I can. There it is. That's all I got. Oh, can I? Can I uh, give one last quote? Please. Uh, This is from a Spin Magazine article about the making of an oral history of They're All Gonna Laugh at You. Nice. And uh, Sandler says, man, I wish this is him talking about 1993, living his life in New York City with all of his buddies. Man, I wish those days were here again. I miss being able to just only think about comedy and not worry about all the other crap, you know? That's the beauty of youth. It was just about trying to be as funny as we could be. That's what we were obsessed with. Sometimes people say I should do another album, and it does stop me a little bit in my tracks. I'd love to do it, but it's putting aside time that's the problem. I don't know. There's other guys doing good stuff. No one needs me, but I'd love to do it. Those were the best times of my life. Hell yeah. That's a great one, Jake. And thank you so much for joining us, and we hope we've inspired you to... It's the summer... These are all such fun summer movies. At the end of a long, hot day out in the sun, you come in, you take a shower, you cozy up in the air conditioning and throw on a fucking big, dumb, happy Madison movie. You won't regret it. I don't think so. Unless it's Click. Click will make you very sad. (laughs) That will make you sad. And Jack and Jill is like very shrill and annoying, but I still actually enjoyed watching it. Dunkin' 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 Gino. All right. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. If you'd like bonus Episodes every single week for just $5 a month. And we mentioned the Sunday study session thing earlier. I'll never say it right. I'll always say like Sunday and stuff like that, but that's fine. Check me out on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. I do Monday, Tuesday, Friday streams, and you're going to love it. Uh, Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Jake! Uh, Just follow me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung to read all my thoughts and plops and get little uh, tidbits of research ahead of when the episode drops out. Um, really got to press the flash on that Patreon again, uh, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. It literally keeps us alive. <laughs> All right, everybody take care. And always remember, never stop whizzing and keep on bruising. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. 
For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.